we're doing this uh, sermon series uh, titled um, There is a God and His Ways Are Smart. Uh, and uh, we're taking a look at some uh, reasons to not disbelieve, uh, which we have gone through a few in previous sermons in the series. Uh, and we're going to take a look at some reasons to believe, sorts of reasons that you might uh, become secure in your belief, answers that you might have at the ready. Let's put it that way. And uh, then we're going to take a look at some of the big moral questions in culture today and just talk about how God's answer to those questions happened to be really smart and effective. Uh, in the first week of the sermon series, we talked about how Christianity is mockable. You can make fun of it rather easily. And that's by design. The Bible actually explains this, you know, and God has designed it in such a way that, um, that, uh, Weak things in the world shame the, throng, the, the strong, the humiliating things actually carry the day. And the reason God has designed the kingdom of heaven on earth to look a little weak and to look a little ridiculous is that so those of us who follow in the way of the kingdom of heaven on earth uh, cannot possibly get arrogant about it, right? We always have to feel like we're a little hard-pressed, a little made fun of and stuff like that. And that's fine, you know, that's actually normal because arrogance uh, it turns out causes an awful lot of wickedness and harm uh, in the world. So that's just kind of uh, built in. Uh, and uh, we've examined how the world, um, as, as scripture says, the, the whole world is under the control of the evil one, the father of lies, right? The world system is kind of built to lie, right? It's kind of what it's for. Uh, I, I said um, rather um, summarily, like, you know, the world is a cult, and the world is a cult that's built on lies and control. And that's just kind of like the set nature of the world. That's kind of where it tends all of the time. And those of us who want to live in the world but not be of the world just have to have that consciousness in ourselves that at the big moments the world will typically lie, right? And those who kind of buy into the world system will kind of buy into uh, the lies. So we talked about that. Um, you have to be ready to stand against it. You have to be ready to shake it off. You have to be ready to find your own answers. And you have to be ready to seek truth yourself, actually. Uh, the kingdom of heaven on earth is always kind of the rebellion. Uh, but it's been an enormously successful one. And Jesus' followers have been multiplying and doing good work on the earth low these past 2,000 years. Today we're going to talk about some good sorts of reasons to believe, to anchor yourself uh, in belief and the reason I, I want to uh, talk about this, um, if I haven't made it clear up till now, is because I've just been so grieved over what has happened the past three or four years in the world. I saw uh, all around the world, and certainly in my own sphere, it's like hundreds of Christian brothers and sisters get annihilated, just get taken out, lose their faith, uh, because the world flexed you know, and said, you guys are stupid, uh, you're uh, harmful and oppressive, and uh, what you believe in isn't true. Uh, we have the better take on things. And so many Christians bought it. They bought it. They swallowed it, and they hit the reef, and they went down, and they went down hard. And the statistics about this sort of nationally and globally are super depressing, you know. Church populations have like halved um, since uh, the, the COVID shutdown and other things that were happening. We had a lot of political and brouhaha and 
social justice debates and all this stuff, right? It was a heck of a time. It still is a heck of a time. And the result of this time is that a lot of Christians spiritually died. And, and I just look at that and I think that's just, well, it's tragic. It's wrong. And it's stupid. Because I don't even think the lies and the flexing the world was doing were all that impressive, <laughs> you know? Like there was nothing about it that was particularly deceptive, that there's just a lot of it, right? It was just sort of pounding. And I just found myself thinking quite a bit over the past few years, like, man, believers need to trust truth, right? We need to trust truth again, right? We need to get our, we need to get our swagger back, right? There was really no reason for us to lose it. But we were so eager to give it away, as if we didn't trust it much to begin with. Anyway, so, so I've just been on about that. And, um, and so I thought, well, you know, just let me go through a few sorts of reasons and just gradually start to coach people and certainly coach people around our Blue Water community. But, you know, there are other communities that watch our Blue Water community uh, for, for some reason. Uh, when, a, when a sermon fails to post, I get email from like Norway, Nepal, the UK, all of these different places. Uh, you matter to people, you know, interesting, you know, take a look left and right and be like, yeah, you matter to people. <sighs> the tone with which you do it is important. Anyway, reasons to believe. And, 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 I, and I just think, you know, I, I just want to coach Christ, uh, Christians to be aware of their own answers, Right? to be aware of their own answers, so that they're just not so easily taken out. Not so easily uh, taken down. And we actually get quite a bit of biblical encouragement from that. Uh, a very popular memory verse uh, in Christianity is, is from uh, uh, Peter's first epistle uh, to the churches, First Peter chapter 3. Uh, it's verse 15. Uh, let me read 14, 15, and 16. Uh, some of you might have memorized First uh, Peter 3.15. Uh, but this is Peter's advice to a church that had recently been rocked by a very violent and politically tumultuous season. Um, he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, even if people mock you, uh, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Right? Do not be afraid is the most common command in all of Scripture. Which is why I have found this last season on planet Earth so offensive, because I think the world has discipled itself in fear. Fear, that's what you should have. Fear equals virtue. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Peter's actually quoting from the Old Testament there. But in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. Don't lose track of this, people. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. That's the memory verse that so many of us have memorized over the years. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that uh, those who speak maliciously against you 
against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always have an answer. Know what you're about. Be confident in Jesus. Know why you're confident in Jesus. And just remember that humility thing, which is just really, really good uh, Christian advice, particularly to those who follow a way that is so easily mockable on planet Earth. Always have an answer to justify the hope that you have in Christ. Uh, know what you're about. Some, some testimony and some reasonable um, response. You know, to me, this means a few things. If uh, somebody says, ah, well, you know, Christianity is bogus or the church does so much harm in the world, don't lead with an apology. Oh, we're so sorry. Yeah, well, you know, some Christians, they don't, well, no. You know, the proper answer to something like that is, well, that's not true. And then take it from there. Um, uh, but, you know, you need some kind of positive, humble, but confident response if the world is going to learn to see us correctly. That's one side of it. The other side of it, and I think Peter was getting to it here, was that you need to be aware of your answer and why you have it so that you're not so easily rocked when somebody gets in your face and makes fun of you. Because, I don't know, you got to grow up, man. you got to grow up, and you have to learn to hang on. And so I think that's part of the encouragement uh, as well. I don't think answers are hard to come by. right? I, I think there are good responses to most of the accusations that come against Christ and come against the church and come against Christians uh, in the world. And, of course, there's a lot of encouragement, uh, even in the the you know, the early years of the New Testament. Similarly, here's uh, another famous passage from Romans 1. Romans uh, is probably the most theologically dense book in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of fundamental lessons. Paul, who is writing a letter to Roman Christians, brand new Christians in Rome, uh, Paul has not visited them, but he's sending them a letter trying to explain the kingdom because he's He's, become, he's got a reputation for being a smart dude. And so he's saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you shortly, but until I get there, right, I really want to explain to you how things work so that you are not easily taken out by all that's going to come against you. And he writes this big, long epistle about it, and it's got a lot of brilliance in it, although sometimes the writing is a little weavy and circular because that's just Paul. Um, but in the first chapter of Romans, he's just trying to establish the sensibility of the whole thing. Uh, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, first chapter, picking it up in verse 16, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, uh, literally, for the so-so of everyone who believes, for the restoration of everyone who believes. If you buy it, you'll be better off. Therefore, I am not ashamed to preach it. Everyone who buys into it will be better off. I stand on that. That's his thesis statement. Uh, I'm not ashamed at all because, you know, there's power in this. It's restoration for anyone who commits to it, anyone who buys in. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. What he's saying is they're like, you know, the Jesus thing started with the Jews, but now it's spread to all of you, Romans, Gentiles included. For in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed, uh, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. 
just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Righteousness is a Greek word that could also be translated justice. Like justice only happens on the earth when you, when you buy into faith in God. That's the bedrock, right? And it's always been like this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since that what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. If you just look with open eyes, it's not hard to see God. And Paul expresses that rather eloquently here in these few verses. It's plain, people. And these guys that are suppressing truth by wickedness, which is a great phrase, right? It's not that they out-argue you. They just out-bully you, right? They intimidate you. They mock you. They're middle school bullies, but they're not logicians. <laughs> they're not well-reasoned. They just say things repeatedly and loudly, <laughs> right? That's the whole point. These guys know they're wrong, Right? And I think Paul kind of enjoyed proving it. <laughs> you, just, you just know they're wrong. But things, if, if you just look correctly, things should be plain. And, and, okay, there's a confidence that we can carry with us. If we just look plainly and simply at things, it shouldn't be a hard argument. It should not be a hard investigation. Do you think that's true? Do you think that's true? Or has the world beaten it out of you? which is kind of a good question for all of us uh, to ask. Um, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I, always, I love that, that verse. Uh, other translations will say, um, they became darkened in their understanding the understanding of their hearts. They can darken in the understanding of their hearts. Uh, what Paul is saying here uh, is essentially that once you reject God, you get stupid, right? Uh, your heart drives your thinking. Your emotions drive your thinking, and then you just can't see things straight anymore. That's what he's saying. You rarely meet an atheist who isn't angry at God, which is paradoxical, because <laughs> if you shouldn't be angry at God, there is no God. Um, but, um, but you find this phenomenon all the time, uh, and, and really it's an emotional position. It's a faith position. Atheism is. This is the sort of thing that Paul is hinting at, and what the sort of thing that he had experienced in the smart, educated Roman and Greek world. Um, so what I want to do is just kind of go through a few sorts of reasons, reasons to believe and to feel strong in your belief, logical ones, thinking ones, right? Uh, there are other reasons to believe that have to do with testimonies, right? It's like you cast a demon out of someone and the nightmares they've had, I think it was 30 years actually, uh, just go away, 
you know, um, or, you know, healings that you see, miracles that you see. And we saw, you know, several really good ones on this trip, but um, those are testimonies, right? Those are experiential evidences. What I'm talking about today is just, just reasons, just things that you could think about and that anybody could think about if they just got off their high horse and thought about it a little bit. Um, so, all right, so I, I just got three sorts of things, so just keep it simple. Uh, number one, um, I call the case for creation. Uh, the idea that the universe was created and not uh, accidental. Some evidence for a creator. And there are lots of books out there about this sort of thing, um, and uh, uh, I enjoy them. Uh, I also really enjoy uh, geeky cosmological physics. You know, I subscribe to all those YouTube channels, and I was like, what is the Hubble telescope revealed this month? You know, that sort of thing. Um, what's that? It's, it's so 80s. Okay, James Webb telescope now. Not, you're like one of three people who know what that is. So I was trying to be accessible, Michael. <laughs> Um, uh, there are a couple, uh, couple different uh, typical arguments in this vein that Christians uh, who follow physics uh, like to give. Physics that have to do with how the universe was uh, started, how it came together, how it operates. Um, it used to be, uh, until quite recently, that the dominant physician, the, excuse me, the dominant position among physicists modern physicists, uh, the fashionable scientific atheist physicists, which have always you know, kind of been a minority, actually, um, was that the universe was static state, right? That the Christians were stupid to think that it had a beginning. It just is. Um, and then it was only about 85 years ago or so, 90 years ago, um, that uh, it was... It was uh, Determined Hubble had a great deal to do with this, actually. Um, he was a guy after whom they named the telescope. Uh, it discovered that the universe was expanding outward in all directions. It had to do with the red shift. And, anybody know? Anybody? Where's Keith Hamasaki? He's a guy who was high school science teachers. Yes. Um, and if the universe, the universe was expanding outward from a singular point, which meant that the universe's motion had a beginning at one point, which is to say that the universe had a beginning. Right? And now everybody knows this. Right? It is scientifically proven. So this was an earthquake in the world of science. right? And, uh, and that's when people started talking about this idea of the Big Bang. The Big Bang is a great victory for Christians. And it was, it's been marketed the opposite. But what it's about is that the universe had a beginning, just like the stories say, right? That is the most fundamental fact in all of science. You know, we had a beginning. And if we had a beginning, as the Christian theologians of the Middle Ages said, there must have been a beginner, right? What's, something started the universe. How does the universe start from nothing, right? So that's, that's the logic. Are you following me? Everybody clap once if you're following me. Um, and so scientists 
who don't like the idea of God have been scrambling to explain this ever since. Um, and it's been uh, very hard for them. Uh, the name that is uh, most associated with this battle to explain how the universe began without a creator is Stephen Hawking. That's how Stephen Hawking became famous. And Stephen Hawking and people that follow in his stream basically argued, well, the universe didn't have a beginning, it just had a start. <laughs> his theory, without going into detail, is that at the beginning of everything, excuse me, at the start of everything, uh, there was an infinitely dense hunk of gravity called a singularity. And in it was kind of packed everything in the universe. Um, and his, his biggest contribution was in a singularity, time itself does not exist. Right? And if time itself does not exist, um, then there is no before. Are you following it? At that point, it gets kind of philosophical. And so he would say, there was no before. We don't have to talk about what happened before the beginning. Uh, and therefore, the idea of God is stupid. Ah, well then, Dr. Hawking, what kicked the universe off? And he would say, well, it wasn't a creator. I actually read this quote. It was spontaneously generated. So there. <laughs> and that's it. That's the entire argument. There's a singularity, which, which is a fancy word that means a one-off something, right? This entirely unique thing. And then later, in later years, he would uh, expand his theory and say, well, maybe there are, there's a multiverse and more than one singularity, which sort of beggars the definition of what a singularity is. But that just sort of infinitely regresses the problem to you, like, yeah, but what kicked it off? And in his honest moments, he would say, we can almost explain you know, that the universe exists, but we cannot explain why the universe bothers to exist. This is a famous Hawking quote. Uh, but he died uh, saying that uh, God is a fairy tale to comfort for weak. He just uh, could not believe it. But spontaneous generation is basically what the smartest physicists appeal to rather than creatorship. But clearly the universe had a, a creation because it had a beginning. And, and, and we've really only like conclusively proven that in the last 80 years. Christians should be like pumping their fists about this. Um, but we are not. We are told science proves that there's no need for God in the universe. Science has very much proven otherwise, right? Very, very close to demonstrating uh, otherwise. Uh, and probably the most famous physicist today, or one of them, is this guy named Michio Kaku. Uh, do you guys know him? YouTube geeks. Come on, geeks, give me something. Um, he is the guy that came up with the original equations for something called string theory. We know about string theory? It's like, you're all thinking about silly string, aren't you? Right? Um, um, which is the theory that people are using to try to explain the nature of the universe and why it works the way it does today. It's the most popular one, although it's kind of running out of steam. Uh, a few years ago, uh, he came out with a statement in support of the existence of God and got a lot of press. He said, I have concluded that we are in a world made by rules created by an intelligence. To me, it is clear that we exist in a plan which is governed by rules that were created shaped by a universal intelligence and not by chance. And I think he's kind of in the majority opinion. 
um, because the universe is just a rock in place. And there's this mystery, like, well, how did it start spontaneously? There are, uh, you know, famously people will say, there are at least 15 constants, physical properties in the universe that are constant, which if they did not exist, the universe could not exist. And we have no explanation for why they exist. They are things like the speed of light, which is sort of constant. Um, the strength of the strong and weak nuclear forces, if you've ever studied particle physics, the force of gravity, which everybody knows, and various parameters associated with forces of electromagnetism. If these were all just off a little bit, the universe would explode and actually it would just blink out. Um, and people look at that all the time. You're like, you know what? Um, the last 80 years of science have not taught us that we know almost everything. They have taught us that there's so much we don't know. Uh, and that's an honest appraisal of science. Uh, the case for creation is epically in favor of God. It doesn't prove the story of Jesus Christ and redemption and all of that stuff. But science is basically on our side. Were you taught that at university? I've stated it fairly plainly. You know, the universe had a beginning. We know that now. First word of the Bible. In the beginning. Uh, so that's interesting. Anyway, so that's the case for creation. I would love to talk about that for like six or seven hours. But you would not like to listen to me talk about that for six or seven hours. Uh, there's something that I call the testimony of humanity, uh, which I think is probably worth knowing. Um, and what I mean by calling it the testimony of humanity is that Humanity itself, like humans, right, as we have existed throughout history, evolved through the millennia. Um, we have carried, for as long as we can identify ourselves as human and b before, we have carried the idea of God with us. We have been trying to tell ourselves for at least 300,000 years that there is a God, right? People say, oh, religion was invented recently by people to solve some social problems or something like that. You know that is not true at all. For as long as we can trace humanoids uh, in the record, we have been incredibly uh, spiritual people. And what does that tell you? I would argue that it is the quest for God that made us human. Um, but let me unpack that a little bit. There is a documentary on Netflix right now uh, about a subject um, that I like very much. Um, these uh, paleontologists, archaeologists, discovered in the Rising Star cave system in South Africa, uh, which is an area they call the Cradle of Humanity, um, as near as they can tell on the archaeological record. Um, they have discovered bones of a human-esque species that they call Homo naledi. This idea of species is arbitrary. They say, well, they're not human because the brains were too small, but whatever. Um, they, they were just, think of just small humans. Uh, 250,000 to 350,000 years old. Um, and the reason there's this documentary is because they crawled into this cave, they found um, not just bones of these tiny human people in southern Africa, but grave sites. Um, 
Before humans were even classified as humans, we were burying our dead in religious rituals. And putting in their hands tools, as if to say, you know, take this with you into the next life. You know, at a time when scientists would say, well, we were just barely evolved monkeys at that point. And yet we had an idea of spirituality. And this just like blew everybody's minds. These elaborate burial spiritual rituals among people that we thought were so primitive they might not have even had speech. We were God seekers before we were anything as a species. Which is exactly what the Bible says. It says that what made us human was our conversation with God. There's this whole story in Genesis about how God's talking to Adam and differentiating him from the animals. Or actually, it's Adam that's doing it. It's like, wait, I'm different than the animals. What's going on? And he's like, yes, you are. You know, for instance, you have speech. Name them. You know, for instance, you think about mates differently. You think about family differently. Like, we are animals, but we're different. Right? And the difference is this conversation with God that we have had for untraceable time immemorial. Did you know about this? The cave art that exists in the caves of Australia that go back 70, 80,000 years, they're spiritual drawings. You know, we have been chasing God a long, long time uh, as, as a species. For that matter, about the testimony of humanity, you could say, if we're such a dominant species on planet Earth, why is there no other species like us? For instance, dogs are fairly dominant. But there are a lot of other dog-like creatures. right? But we're the only creature in the world that really has the kind of speech that we have. We're the only creature in the world that creates things like we do. We're the only creature in the world that civilizes like we do. Why are we so stinking unique on planet Earth? Because if we were purely the result of natural accident, shouldn't there be other things like us? If you are used to thinking about evolutionary science, you get what I'm saying, right? Um, We have a spark that is unusual. Right after the story in the book of Genesis about the fall, uh, there's, a little, there's a little line in Genesis chapter 4 that says, And at that time, men began calling out on the name of the Lord. God, where are you? What has happened to us? And that was the beginning of human civilization. Um, anyway, testimony of humanity. That's one thing to think about, because I don't think you're going to get that message um, on YouTube or on campus. And then finally, the last thing I would talk about would be the story of the Christian movement, which has been incredibly impressive and and worth knowing. Christianity is both entirely unique and utterly inexplicable. That it succeeded at all is nothing short of a miracle. We have documented evidence, right? We have written sources that were written very soon after Jesus' death that tell the story of Jesus. They were written at a time when there were just a handful of Christians on the earth in this backwater called Palestine, 
by the Romans, right? We were nothing at all. We were basically this, just a, just a small church. And this dude, Jesus, he said, someday, you uneducated fishermen who have nothing, no resources, no military, no standing, no, no financing, right? You're going to take this global and people from every nation will be calling out on the name of the Lord, which was an utterly laughable prediction, utterly laughable, written down at a time in which could not possibly ever come true. And here we are. And it has unfolded exactly like he said it would, carried forth largely by nameless, faceless people who had nothing, simple people, simple people. There are folks that say, oh, the only reason that Christianity existed is because the Roman emperor Constantine became a Christian in the fourth century AD. Have you heard that story? Probably a few of you have, because they don't teach any history anymore, particularly at school. But he was a very famous dude, and he actually didn't make Rome the official religion of, excuse me, didn't make Christianity the official religion of Rome like people say he did. He made it not illegal to be a Christian. He was the first Roman emperor to make Christianity not illegal, which just tells you how bad the world was for us for about 400 years there, 300 some odd years. And then after Constantine came other emperors who, again, persecuted Christians, right? So he was an important blip on the radar, but, but just a, a blip. There are many times in the last 2,000 years in which people declared the world was post-Christian, just like they're declaring it post-Christian now. Um, but it keeps cropping up. It keeps reviving. It keeps revolutionizing itself. Another thing that makes Christianity unique is although we've been around for 2,000 years, we Christians today believe exactly the same thing that the early Christians believed. We are still orthodox. Uh, this is worth noting because there was a huge move in that first century to mix Christianity. This is what the Gnostic Gospels are about. Right? The reason that the New Testament was canonized, standardized, is because there were a lot of people trying to make Christianity more popular by mixing it with Roman fads, liberalizing the theology in their day to be more acceptable to the population at large, just like there's a big movement for us to do that today, to, to, you know, to compromise morality and teachings and ideas in order to be more acceptable, friendly, peacemaking. Uh, to the culture at large. And that was a big Roman principle, and we are basically Romans in our culture. Um, and Christianity has resisted it for 2,000 years. There's no, other Christian, there's no other religion on earth that ever did that. Nobody today practices pure Buddhism. It didn't last even a single generation. And then it got syncretized with folk. Or, uh, you know, uh, Islam is a rather recent uh, religion, but it became factionalized in the generation after Muhammad which explains the politics of the Middle East today. You know, people still believe different things. And anyway, that's a religion based on military conquering. Uh, you know, that's how it spreads. We spread only through sharing truth with one another, loving and stuff like that. The testimony of Christianity is unique and inexplicable. Plus, wherever it goes, it works. Wherever Christianity has taken root in a culture, tremendous prosperity and freedom has followed, without exception. 
And I could talk a lot about that history because I'm a political scientist by PhD. And that's kind of my thing. Uh, the uh, historical effect of Christianity that people tell you, oh, wherever Christianity goes, it oppresses and enslaves. Not true. Not true. The world is oppressed and enslaved. Only the places where Christianity took root ever got free. Um, and people have been borrowing on uh, Christian contributions around the world ever since. Thankfully, that's a great contribution. Um, so I'll leave you with that idea today. Um, I'm talking about the effect of Christianity in history. Um, but what I enjoy most about this system of faith and truth that we call Christianity is that it works individually, right? As Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God for righteousness, for justice, for restoration for anyone who believes. And I preach that incredibly confidently, that if you buy in, there is nothing in you that cannot be restored. The truth itself, right, the facts themselves will set you free and establish you on a firm footing. But the really great news is that it's not just the facts, right, that you actually get to know the power of the living God. And this is what we celebrated, for instance, last night at the Holy Spirit retreat. Um, this is why we enjoy telling miracle stories about deliverances unto more deliverances and life change is because there's actually a God, a person that is backing all of this up, right? That's the good news. That's the good news. And if you give that God access to your life, then he starts a story in you that is as impressive as the story of creation or the story of humanity or the story of Christianity. It evolves, it expands, it's creative, it's interesting, it's freeing, it's prosperous in all the important ways. It's life, you know? So we preach God boldly. Um, he has not left us ashamed, even though we're easy to mock. He has not left us powerless, even though we often seem weak. The testimony is reasonable and reliable and worth sharing. And don't you ever be ashamed of it. Don't you ever let yourself get taken out by ridiculous things that culture is shouting around you. That is the height of foolishness. Now you guys have kind of made it through the last few years which means that you're incredibly valuable people. Right? Those of you who have still maintained your living faith, you have exactly what the world needs. One, the world is terrified, but you have faith. The world is starving for confidence and faith, starving for it. And two, you have all the truth that actually makes sense of the universe. Three, you get to share the presence of God himself. What's your answer? I don't care as long as you have a good one. Be prepared, ready for an answer for everyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have. 
which is a good, true, and reliable hope that hasn't failed us for 2,000 years.